Hey everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. This is show number 91. Uh, oh, blimey, 91. We're going to start with a little bit of housekeeping, I think, this week. I know that's kind of back to front. Uh, I will come into the show proper in a moment, but I just wanted to let you know that uh, we have moved our feed uh, we now have uh, a new web presence uh, and a new feed. So first off, uh, and the reason for putting this at the front of the show is sorry if you've had any trouble getting hold of the content. Now, if you're listening to this, presumably you figured it out. <laughs> but uh, I did have uh, a contact from one of our listeners, uh, Tony Smith, uh, who contacted us on Twitter saying, where have all the old podcasts gone? Uh, and uh, that seems to be a potential feature having moved the feed. They are all there, um, and the link to our new internet uh, site, our new website, is in the header of our Twitter feed, the header of our Instagram feed. It's in the show notes for this show, um, and iTunes and other places have all the new feed as well. But just in case, just in case, uh, the new website is sunny16.org podbean.com p-o-d-b-e-a-n.com that is our new hosting service and that is our new website where you will find all the shows that we have ever published which i have to say is not as many as our guests tonight but i'll let graham introduce him in a second how you doing graham I'm doing very well, thank you. And you're not wrong, because obviously we've got, as we mentioned last week, a bit of a Rachel-shaped gap in the show at the moment, because she's off being busy. Uh, she's actually in London tonight um, doing something glamorous, I'm sure, uh, which I think was mostly sitting in a hotel room editing photos. Um, but we needed to fill that space. And obviously, you know, Rachel is um, a talented musician and podcaster. Who could we possibly get? And then it came to me in a, like a bolt of inspiration. The, the other talented musical guest um, podcaster, Mike Gutterman from the Negative Positives podcast. His hair is not quite as long as Rachel's uh, and it looks to be quite a lot grayer than Rachel's, but still a pro podcast host with uh, how many podcasts under your belt at this point, Mike? Uh, I'm starting to lose count. I think I just did 93. <laughs> 93. <laughs> and since when is this? Uh, I started it, I don't know, six months ago? Seven months. <laughs> <laughs> so, there you go. Just, how could you not be more pro? So, welcome very much to the show. Mike Gutterman, to co-host with us tonight. Oh, well, thank you guys very much. It's a real honor to be here. And uh, as far as being uh, any good at podcasting or musicianship or photography, uh, those are all questions that uh, probably are not don't have good answers for. So uh, there you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I, I've listened to I'm not going to say I've listened to all of your episodes um, because uh, you you make them faster than, <laughs> than I can possibly keep up with them. Um, but you started your Negative Positives podcast, as you said, about six months ago. And in fact, I remember you sent us an email at the time saying, oh, I'm, I'm giving this a go. Um, and you are doing this using the Anchor app on the phone, which I think we talked about on the podcast at the time, probably when you sent the email in. Um, so for listeners who actually for listeners who aren't familiar why don't you fill us in on exactly what the Anchor app is and why this app inspired you to get into podcasting? 
Well, yeah, I've been kind of thinking, I've been thinking about doing podcasting for quite a while and, uh, you know, listening to you guys, I thought, well, surely I can do this, you know, so, uh, <laughs> nah, it's, so, this is way harder than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so then, uh, but you know, and honestly, my wife, uh, was probably growing very tired of hearing me nerd out about, uh, film talk and film photography all the time. So I was like, well, I need to talk to somebody about, uh, photography. So, uh, I kind of started thinking about doing a podcast and figuring, you know, if no one listened, I'd at least be able to talk about this stuff to the outer reaches of outer space. And, uh, you know, and my wife wouldn't have to be bored with it all the time. So uh, I actually started listening to uh, Timothy Ditzler from Analog Talk. Uh, he started doing a, a, a little podcast on Anchor called We Believe in Film. And when I listened to that, I realized that there was this this anchor app out and uh, it kind of answered all the questions I had about doing a podcast. It wasn't, I didn't really want to sink money into doing a podcast or buy fancy equipment like I'm sure you guys have. But uh, so, you know, anchor allows you to basically podcast for free. You know, there's no charge whatsoever and you do it with your phone and you need no extra equipment. And, you know, so it just seemed like a really good uh, way to kind of get into podcasting. So, uh, that's kind of what the app does. So it just basically allows you to podcast for free and makes it easy. So, uh, yeah, it's a really interesting app. And I think uh, people should uh, look into it if they want to start a podcast. I've actually, early on, I was trying to get other phot film photographers to start a podcast and get more voices out there. And I think Anchor's a, a good, easy way to do that. It does seem like a really good um, democratizer of the form. I mean, what I've always loved about podcast as a medium is the fact that um they have always been open to anyone to make uh, with a fairly low barrier to entry i mean yes the quality can vary a lot depending on how much you know resources you have behind it but they've always been something that pretty much anyone can make and um especially in the early days there were a, a lot of people um just you know the whole ethos of you know oh well, i've got an interest in this let's just make it and um nowadays advertisers are getting on in there's more money coming into it it feels like it's getting squeezed a bit more but i do love the fact that in some ways it feels like the anchor app is helping get back a little bit of that um kind of frontier spirit of it so um you said that photography was a thing that had just been you wanted to get it out there i mean it's it's like photography itself it's a creative thing how long has analog photography been part of your life then mike Oh, wow. Well, I mean, I can try to make this short because I know we have a bazillion emails here. But, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, gosh, my dad was a shutterbug. And uh, I think that kind of just from him, I sort of kind of got, a, I don't know, I just started, I, I saw the value of photos because he always made it important, uh, made an important part of his life to take photos. And then, uh, so I guess I probably got into photography uh, my senior year in high school, which was... Uh, 1989 which i'm showing my age there but uh <laughs> but uh, i was on the yearbook staff and i got uh, to be one of the yearbook photographers so i borrowed my dad's uh pentax k1000 and uh you know i think that's was my first uh, attempt of taking photos with a real camera i guess and uh i promptly got kicked off the uh photo yearbook staff <laughs> for, for not uh, for just hiding out in the dark room and hiding from teachers and not doing the dark room work, which I now kick myself for because I had full access to a dark room. But I was more worried about, you know, uh, hiding from teachers and uh, goofing off. So uh, 
uh, yeah, so I got kicked off the uh, yearbook photo staff. So ever since then, I've just been on a on a rampage to make up for that uh, that mistake. And uh, uh, that's the that's what's pushed me to be a photographer is that that the hurt and pain and loss of getting kicked off the yearbook. <laughs> <laughs> it's kept you going all these years. It has. It has. It just burns me up, you know. But <laughs> no, I, and actually, I wasn't really that. I, then it was just about taking photos for the yearbook staff, you know, and uh, uh, it wasn't uh, I didn't really see uh, photography as maybe an art form or whatever. And I think what really got me into it was uh, I started playing music and bands and stuff. And I, I just went through a phase where uh, one of my bands had broke up and I kept trying to start new bands and people kept not showing up to practice. And it just kept falling apart over and over and over. And I was like, you know, I need I need another creative outlet besides uh, besides music that uh, I can do by myself where I don't have to rely on anybody showing up for a band practice. And uh, so, and I just remembered photography and it's like, well, I think I'll give this a shot and went out and bought me a, an SLR and a bunch of photo books <laughs> and off I went, you know? So, uh, so that's kind of what got me into it. So I guess I've really been doing film for, uh, I guess I got serious about it probably 99, uh, two, year 2000, somewhere around there. And, uh, I kind of went through my digital dark ages and then a couple years ago decided to go back to film. So, yeah, that's pretty much my uh, time capsule there. You you talk quite often. I mean, well, I don't think you talk quite often, but you've certainly mentioned in the past when talking to guests and, and responding to um, questions from listeners, because you do a lot of that um, on your podcast, which I think is fantastic. Um, but you, you talk about the fact that for you, photography is it an escape from your sort of blue collar factory job it's it's your way to get away from it all um and and i know that you've also you've you you've sold some of your or you've you've gone to places to sell images in the past I mean, uh, how what role is photography filling in your life now uh i think it's still mostly just the, the big creative outlet it's uh, i mean my job and i work in a factory uh and uh, feed robots parts all night long, and it is uh, it's a soul-killing job, man. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, uh, so you know you have to find when you have jobs like that, you have to you know make your time outside of that job even more fulfilling uh, with you know more quality time with your family. Really try to cherish that time and make the best of it, but also uh, have creative endeavors that make you feel like you know some kind of a, a real human being and and creative person and something and actually be able to use your mind for something because my job is mindless let's face it <laughs> and uh so yeah it's uh but for me it's still just the uh it's mostly about just uh i don't know there's the excitement you get when you uh press the shutter and like you, you sometimes you just know you got that shot and it it, it kind of reminds me when you're playing music with uh, some of your you know your bandmates or whatever and everyone just kind of when they found when you when everybody just kind of hits the right moment, man, and everybody's playing, you know, uh, together, and it's really coming, the song's really coming together and sounding amazing, you're like, yes, you know. Well, sometimes I get that same thing from photography, like, uh, just you take a shot, even though you're not shooting digital and you don't have that little screen pop up and uh, to show you you got the shot, sometimes you just know you got it and you know it's a good one, and there's, that's just a, an excitement that's hard to, uh, hard to duplicate, really. Yeah, I completely get it, and and I, and I understand. I mean, my I'm lucky. I I have a job that I enjoy, even though it, it also is not always terribly mentally stimulating. But um, yeah, I can understand why working in a factory would make you 
need to get out was part of the reason that you wanted to get into doing the podcast because you can't take pictures all the time um you know sometimes it's dark or raining or i don't do you get rain in kentucky i don't know <laughs> this is a very british thing we have lots of i don't know if it's, don't know if it's got as far as kentucky yet um but was that part of the motivation for you to make the podcast yeah i mean it's like it was a way i felt like that i could interact with uh, photography even though i wasn't doing photography because you know um basically i'm kind of a night owl. i work night shift at my at my plant so I, it's always hard to for me to, to like i have to like almost flip my schedule to get onto a day if i'm going to go take photos on a day i'm off which is you know that's fine that's what i have to do for the most part i'm a night shift guy and uh so it was easy just late at night when uh wife's and wife my wife and kids are already in bed and or i'm getting if i get off work a little early you know i just i'm out there in my garage the gutter man cave by myself and uh it's like hey i got to talk to somebody about some photography let's uh let's do a podcast episode number 1000 so <laughs> <laughs> and and recently you've started um getting on a co-host as well haven't you because how, how many shows are you theoretically doing a week at the moment well, it started when I started it. It was only supposed to be once a week. I think one of the early episodes I said I would do this every Sunday night, and then it became twice. And then, uh, uh, you know, to be honest, one one of the reasons I've done so many is uh, I'm in this phase at, at at the factory that I work in where they've been letting us off early, so I have a couple hours to kill from the time I get off work to the time my wife and kids get up and go off. Uh, my kids go off to school or whatever. So I'm like, well, what am I going to do with these couple of hours? I can sit here and and just get hammered uh with <laughs> there's always that <laughs> or or i could uh i could do a podcast so and, or, you know... or both, <laughs> or both. <laughs> and uh, uh i i don't I, I resemble that comment there but, uh, <laughs> the, uh but yeah so it, that's the reason but theoretically i wanted to do you know one two maybe three but you know a week but that's uh you know who knows it's uh I just keep throwing stuff out there at the wall and see what sticks. But, you know, that's uh, that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's been great lately um, hearing you joined on, on on at least one of your Sunday shows. Sometimes there's more than one show a day. Um, but um, hearing Andre Dominguez, who um, we spoke to oh, um, back at the beginning of the year with um, Robert Hamm, because um, he's a he's a charming chap to have on any show, isn't he? Oh, my goodness. That guy, I mean, I wish I had his drive and uh, enthusiasm for something when I was his age. I would have maybe not got kicked off the yearbook staff. And, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> he, uh, uh, I mean, it just amazes me what he what he knows and like how, how passionate he is. And like he's a he's a better speaker than me, which kind of bugs me a little bit on the podcast. <laughs> but, you know, and, and the weird thing is I, I actually had a job in radio for like a year. So I was, I've actually been on the radio and here this guy comes in and can talk proper English and I stumble over my words all the time. I was like, what is going on here? I was in radio, daggone it. And, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, but he is, he's awesome. He's been a real good, uh, he was actually one of the first people that, uh, you know, contacted my show, like through the call in feature on the anchor app. And, uh, and we just kind of got to know each other and uh, became uh, kind of became friends, basically. And I've never even met the guy. So uh, and, and I just kind of decided, hey, actually, I was trying to push him to start a podcast because he knows so much stuff and he has so much passion for it. And he's like, man, I just don't have time for it. So I was like, well, how about you uh, just be a, kind of a regular guest on mine? And uh, 
that way, uh, you know, you don't have to put the time and effort uh, into putting out 17 podcasts a week. And uh, uh, so he, uh, yeah, and so he kind of decided to do that with me. And so about every Sunday night now, I'm having him on. And it's been a real break for me because that gives me a little less to, that I have to talk about. So, <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's fantastic. And I would absolutely uh, recommend your show for listeners to go and check out as we said at the beginning it's the negative positives podcast and um, you know I know you say well they're only short episodes which for the most part they are but nonetheless the fact that you've already got to over 90 shows is a real testament to your dedication to keeping doing it um, I'd say maybe um, for people to dip in maybe maybe don't give the Monday evening less um, episodes your first listen because that those tend to be the ones where you've been drinking whiskey I suspect um, for the time you get podcasting. Excuse me, Graham. We like to call it bourbon here in Kentucky. We're famous for that. So uh, sorry, oh, that is a terrible <laughs> faux pas. My, my God, even Ed will tell me off for that one later. Um, but yeah, listeners should absolutely check it out. And yeah, the Sunday evening shows with Andre are great. The two of you on there, um, and it's well worth listening. People can find that both on the Anchor app, but also just on ordinary podcasting apps. Um, I know that's where I get mine through. Um, so check it out. Well, Mike, I, I definitely think um, you have the qualifications, especially as you do so much listener interaction stuff, to help us get through our mountain of emails. So I sincerely hope you're up for the challenge. <laughs> uh, let me just go grab that bottle of bourbon and we'll do that. <laughs> Right, okay, so we have three of us. Uh, we have a mountain of email to get through this week. Uh, first of all, I would like to say thank you to all the people who have sent us emails this week. Uh, we will do our best to do them justice. Uh, by necessity, we may have to do a little bit of paraphrasing uh, because there's quite a lot of, uh, of detail in these. So um, if we read out your email and we paraphrase it in a way that completely mangles the meaning of it, uh, Graham apologises in advance. As you all know, no, Gra Graham's, <laughs> Graham's strong point is apologising. Um, it's what he does best in life. Um, and, uh, and he is readying his apologies right now. I'm sorry you're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. First is, first email then. Fro uh, oh, God, a name I'm going <laughs> to... Just realised what I've done. I volunteered to read out the first email. And uh, it's a name that I'm probably going to butcher. So on on uh, I'm pretty confident that I can, uh, that that Marcus is the correct pronunciation. So Marcus, I apologise. Uh, great, sorry, Graham apologises for me getting your surname wrong. Uh, I'm going to go with Vockenheim. That sounds good to me. I think that's a solid solid go. Okay, all right. Okay, so we had an email from Marcus that says, "Dear Sonnies." Uh, let me first take the opportunity to thank you for the wonderfully entertaining podcast you provide. Well, who could, uh, who could, um, yeah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, I found out about the Sunny 16 podcast who aids appearance on tips from the top floor. Ah, I see. Well, welcome to the show, Marcus, and have been listening to all the episodes in the meantime. Oh, okay. Uh, maybe I can help Matthew on his question at the end of episode 88. 
As far as I understand, he was talking about black and white printing, but using a color enlarger and its ability to control the contrast on black and white variable contrast paper through color filters. <gasps> Sorry, long sentence. <laughs> I didn't time that breathing very well at all. Uh, versus using paper with a fixed contrast. Uh, I think that's correct. Um, unfortunately, I do not have hands-on experience lacking both time and space, but I remember Bruce Barnbaum explaining his process this process in his book which i can highly recommend uh, in essence the yellow filter reduces contrast and the magenta filter increases it you will have to increase exposure time when using the filter uh, further and specific information can be found in the ilford documentation if you enter contrast control for ilford multigrade in google i uh, hope that information helps brilliant um thank you very much marcus uh that is uh yeah okay so uh i'm not entirely sure we got there the title of bruce bam bam's book um but we'll have to see if we can google that and find it in the show and put it in the show notes uh we did also have though uh following very swiftly on from that uh, uh an email actually from matthew kavanagh who was uh who marcus was writing to inform uh thanks very much for reading out my email about contrast control and larger issues uh, the advice given by andrew bartram on last week's show was exactly what i was wanting to know Ah, I started listening when I found the podcast last autumn and I'm really enjoying listening so that so that to everyone for all the effort that goes into the show. So thanks to everyone um, for all the effort that goes into the show. Well, thank you, Matthew. So there we have um, uh, some more detail about the printing question that Matthew had contacted us with in the first place. Um that doesn't do uh d doesn't do a lot for me in the practical sense i'm afraid because i don't do that sort of stuff so i hope i got all of that right uh graham does that uh did i get that right graham yes you did yeah absolutely i mean um marcus was basically following up with the same same kind of information that we got from andrew when andrew wrote in um and um yeah it, it's really interesting because uh, i've th there's two basic kinds of enlargers there's the color enlargers which have these you can change the color tones within it which affects the contrast and then there's ones where you use filters and um and that's what the question was all based around so it was uh um yeah very useful information um i do uh, mike uh, uh, my understanding is that your experience in the dark room was back something to do with a yearbook i mean have you have you um have you done any dark room printing yourself i did it was in my senior year of high school and they probably got probably got kicked out so. <laughs> but, uh, but that is my darkroom experience. I do have an enlarger that I've bought, and I, that's all I've. I don't even. That's all I've bought. I, I'm going to start uh, getting back into it. Uh, but as of right now, uh, I've got an enlarger. But, uh, <laughs> but I, uh, I do. I do have a comment on this email, and I wanted to put you on the spot here, Graham. If I could do that, mm, I'll allow it. <laughs> uh, he mentioned uh, Chris Marquardt and uh, the uh, you know the tips from the top floor, and I actually emailed your program. Uh, it's telling that uh, Chris had talked about Sunny 16 on his uh, on tips from the top floor and mentioned all the guests and forgot what your name was, Graham. And you said that you were going to give Chris Marquardt all kinds of hell when he was on your <laughs> show. And, and it didn't happen. You you kind of you kind of wimped out, man. I was waiting for you to bring the bring the fire and fury down on him. But what, you know, what's going on there? 
Well, I, I think I hope you'll realize by now, Mike, that I am always charming to everybody um, who comes on the podcast, and always, it, especially before we start recording, I'm especially charming. Um, so, uh, no, I did forget. Although I'm pretty sure I did give Chris a hard time about something else on the podcast. Look, you know, um, I will forgive him one day, uh, but not not anytime soon. Um, so, well, yeah. he also he he did donate a, cu- a couple of copies for for the book that he and Monica wrote as well to give to our listeners. So, might have been he a, can't, he, might have been a little rude to shoot him down in flames when he came bearing gifts. But... He, he 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 can't he can't buy my goodwill, so he can't. No, I'm I'm not easily bought. But, oh, uh, I was going to lend anyway. you a copy of that book actually when we meet up at the uh the photograph photography show shall i give it to rach instead then no give it to me give it to me (laughs) (laughs) sorry what was that i'm i'm struggling to reconcile the two approaches you're taking to this conversation at the same time (laughs) i'm surprised that you're surprised right let's move on to the next i didn't say i was surprised i'm just struggling (laughs) (laughs) uh the next email is from sean horn who I think, uh, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think it's at SpandexOc on uh, Instagram, but apologies if I've got that wrong, but I think that's right. Anyway, Sean writes, Hi, Aid, Rachel, and Jezza. Um, I, some of these emails are quite old, by the way. Um, I had to write after last week's episode and the Q&A session. I am a day one listener and never plucked up the courage to write before. Um, first off, thanks very much for being a day one listener. I thought it was only you know, me, Aid, and my mum, so that's amazing. Um you very kindly included my question, which was, if you could go back in time and take any photo of anything or anyone, what would it be? And I was a little bit gobsmacked with Aid's answer about D-Day. The reason for this is that it struck a chord with myself. My father was a D-Day veteran and also a prolific photographer. He photographed everything and anyone from his story to the Second World War through many decades of our family life. Now, don't get me wrong, his photography was not great. In fact, he was less a Vivian Meyer and more often akin to Vivian from the young ones when it came to composition and subject <laughs> choice. Um, and to any listeners who are not familiar with Vivian from the young ones, please uh, Google it because that's pretty great. However, his pictures, including those from the Second World War, are very treasured. Those images show a glimpse of such struggle, horror and bravery that most of us, fortunately, will never know. From the landing at Sword Beach through his time travelling through France, uh, I'm pretty sure that is time travelling through France, not time travelling through France in a Doctor Who way, um, being captured and let go by the Germans in retreat at Bayeux, and eventually as part of the occupying forces meeting my mother in Germany. This is to me what makes analogue photography so special. Prints fall inside books and shoe boxes, become tucked in old cases and generally hide waiting to be discovered sometimes many decades later in the future. Unless someone happens to accidentally cross someone's Apple login, important memories will disappear into the electronic ether in which they currently live, never to be appreciated again with digital. I must also say... Must... There must also say that after Aid's comment about the watch was quite apt. My son now owns the wristwatch my dad wore during the times I've described, and although only a cheap soldier's watch, it actually holds more value than any Rolex. You can see it on his wrist in many of his photos. I attach a photo taken by my father of the farm in which my mother lived in Germany. Can you imagine waking up one morning and finding that the livestock have scarpered, but you now own a Luftwaffe bomber? feel free to share uh, and that's from sean hall 
I love that email so much. What an awesome email. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Sean. Um, great story. And I could not agree more about the sentiment for making prints. And it kind of ties back in with the last about the value of getting in, well, either getting in the dark room and making prints or just printing off your work in any old way. Because um, I'm not great at that. But um, uh, you're, you're quite good at making prints, aren't you, Aid? You You tend to be a bit better organized with that. <laughs> well y yes and no so uh i have a huge backlog of stuff that i'm i'm supposed to be uh printing and i when i say printing i mean just like ordering prints from um to for for mounting and putting up in the house and things like that uh, but i'll tell you what we um what it made me think of as you were reading Sean's email was that I came home from work today and my six-year-old daughter was sitting on her bed with a shoebox organising her Instaxes. She said, I'm organising my Instax, Daddy. I'm organising my Instax. And she loves those things. And, you know, uh, and... They're, they're, um, a lot of them are just you know family snapshots and and e either with an instax camera or taken digitally and then printed out you know with the instax printer but those are the sorts of things that um they get used in our house as bookmarks sometimes they get stuck up on the fridge sometimes that yeah they they yeah they but and the, and the kids collect them and stuff like that and i have a little box full of them myself and those i think are maybe maybe uh, a a a modern day equivalent of you know what sean's been talking about there and and when you think when i think about it like that it's you know i it's no surprise to me that fuji are making so much uh money and taking so much market share from from instax and how everybody loves it so much um it's not going to be the best photography ever especially the small ones um but it's certainly going to be some of the most memorable yeah, that's very true. Mike, I've got a couple of questions. <clears throat> First question, how much do you think Fuji must be paying aid? Because at this point here, I've just come to the conclusion he's definitely on the payroll because of this Instax plugin. It has to be a payroll job. Secondly, do you print off a lot of your stuff? Uh, well, you know, aid, you gotta, you gotta switch over to the Polaroid bandwagon. Uh, they, they pay me, so... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. I actually do print. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I print quite a bit. Uh, just inkjet prints at this point, and also sometimes I go to like you know online labs that when they do like the one hundred four by sixes for some really cheap price, you know. But um, uh, you know, it's funny. I've been in, in this in this scanning project right now where I'm scanning a bunch of old family albums I found that we had no you know uh, digital copies of whatsoever. And, you know, these are from photos from the, you know, early 70s, mid, uh, mid early 80s, stuff like that. All those prints really look, still look pretty fantastic. Some of the 70s ones kind of take on a little reddish hue after a while, but uh, most of those even were still in really good shape. I even found an old Polaroid from 1978 that hadn't looked, looked like it hadn't faded a bit. And they were all in, like, these photo albums. So, you know, if there's any testament to uh the need to print that's i think that's it because here it is you know 30 40 years later you still have that photo and it's still viewable and it looks great and you know what kind of digital uh file can you trust for 30 or 40 years you know so I, i'm trying to make more of a conscious effort to keep the the family photo album tradition going which is you know it's work but 30 40 years from now people will really appreciate that yeah i think you're right and, and i think it is one of the 
one of the big risks of you know i mean the fact that mobile phone photography and we all do it it's great it's amazing that we can get out and just take these great pictures on the phones but um how many of those are going to still be around and easily accessible in, in 10 years time or in 30 years time when as you're saying you know i mean you know you've got kids i've got kids aid's got kids you know they're not how are they going to gain access to those um you know and, and even if they can still be accessed they'll just be this mountain of files and uh yeah print stuff off i i i think whether it's um darkroom prints or inkjet prints or whatever it is that that's that's one of the increasingly the most important things getting that step done i think it's um because yeah it, it is one of the true beauties of of any photography but you know that that analog endpoint is so important um mike do you want to take this next one from malcolm myers i would be honored to and hopefully i won't mess this up but here we go uh you talked a couple of weeks oh hold on high sunbeams forgot about that see i already screwed up okay <laughs> A couple of weeks ago about where you'd like, really like to go to take photos in the world. And Rachel mentioned New Zealand as a dream destination. Having been, I can, can having been, I can confirm that it is a great place. As I wandered around Queenstown, I had dreams of, of moving out there, setting myself up as a landscape photographer and selling prints to the tourist. Unsurprisingly, it never happened. However, I do remember thinking that the landscape must be very similar to Scotland. So if the dream of New Zealand is too far out, then perhaps a trip to the Highlands might give you the fix you need. It also reminded me a lot of the Lake District, and that's just next door to Rachel. As Hamish is trying to prove with his architecture project, there's plenty on our doorsteps to fill a decent frame. It's a lesson I certainly need to remember more often. All the best. Yeah, that's great. Lovely email from Malcolm there. And it's so true as well. Uh, I struggle so much with finding inspiration in my own back garden, but uh, everywhere else is always more appealing. So you've been to New Zealand now, haven't you? I have. I mean, Queenstown, the place uh, Malcolm mentions, and it, it is God. It, that is one of those places. It it is an absolutely beautiful place. It's a small, very picturesque town on the side of a lake, but it's also a hub for sort of adrenaline adrenaline activities you'll be walking around this picturesque town and there'll be people floating down out the sky on parachutes jet boats hurtling across the lake there's bungee jumping there's all sorts of stuff going around um and you and you certainly do see people around places like that who have set themselves up as landscape photographers it's it's an incredible place but um i do agree with malcolm that um we have got beautiful places in this country um just not you know i think we take them for granted a bit but you know scotland and wales and the lake district are beautiful um and can really give you that fix but we don't have volcanoes that's the one thing that new zealand has that we're lacking is volcanoes um but Oh, no, actually, I tell a light. There are volcanoes. There's a dormant volcano. When I was in Wales, I got pointed out there's a dormant volcano. No, dead volcano. Extinct. It's not dormant. <laughs> I don't want to worry anybody in Wales. It's not about to blow. Um, but an extinct volcano in Wales. So there you go. But, yeah, that's about the only thing. Well, um, the, 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 so, yes. So, the, I mean, there are there are volcanoes, aren't there? Well, uh, yeah, extinct volcanoes. So uh, Edinburgh, for example, has one. Uh, so. I, I did not know. Did you know that the week... Not even the week, a couple of days after we left um, Wales when we were on holiday, there was an earthquake, which is, again, quite unusual. I mean, it's not 
unprecedented but we don't get a lot of earthquakes either uh in the uk especially not in wales but uh, there you go what kind of stuff are you out shooting because i'm guessing you didn't get a lot of chance to go and do a lot of traveling mike so what kind of stuff are you shooting in your back door back door oh, back oh uh, yeah i don't know my photography is all over the place man i'm so helter skelter like i can't i mean if i look I, I don't really know what i shoot man <laughs> a lot <laughs> A lot of trees. Uh, no, uh, and I do like I like to go downtown and uh, just do some city shots. And I really like sort of like the urban decay type stuff. And you know, uh, but yeah, it's kind of all over the place. I never really have uh, uh, something that I think that I uh, do. But I have had to be good or try to be good at taking things right outside my door because I don't get to travel much. And I really appreciate you all having the one American on this podcast to read all about. Uh, European geography there, so uh, that was. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> New Zealand's not in Europe, Mike. Oh my God, that's even yeah, worse. There, there you go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that shows you how much traveling I've done. <laughs> well, there um, was something. That- to be fair, Scotland was mentioned in there, so I'm, I'm so much. I direct. think Scotland's still in Europe, but I haven't checked the papers today. Um, <laughs> they don't. They, um, I can I can never keep track of where Scotland wants to be. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so, so, Mike, do you have like somewhere in your mind that you think, oh, oh, if I could, if if money was no object and I could just hop on the plane tomorrow with my camera, where would you go? Oh, uh, gosh. Well, out west of the United States, the desert area, desert towns and stuff out in wet, you know, the western side of the United States. But plus, also, um, I know it's kind of cliche, but I'd have to say Hawaii because my dad was stationed there in the military, and I've seen like old Kodachrome slides of of his, you know, when he was stationed in Hawaii. So I've always wanted to to go there and uh, see some of those places. But uh, yeah, that would be my first two choices, I think. Yeah, that sounds great. Also, I saw an episode of Man vs. Food on Sunday, and there's this place that sells like the biggest pancakes you ever saw. It's quite disgusting. But uh, so that's in Hawaii as well. So um, another good reason. <laughs> <laughs> that's my contribution. Well done. Well done. Thanks. <laughs> Still, at least you got through it without a Thomas Magnum reference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You gonna take the next one, Aid? Why not? Why not? Uh, and this is uh, from regular correspondent to the show, Jeremy North. Uh, Jeremy sent us a few emails recently, so good to hear from you again, Jeremy. Uh, he says, "Hey, Sunny Rachel, Sunny Jim, and Sunny Boy." Oh, okay. <laughs> so, which one do you want to be? Are you Sunny Jim or Sunny Boy? Can I be Sunny Boy, please? I sound like the, the superhero sidekick, Sunny Boy. <laughs> Okay, all right, fair enough. He says, anyway, sorry, Jeremy says, uh, a couple of excellent pods since my last epistle. Well, thank you very much. Uh, the Q and uh, the Q and some A was most entertaining. Oh, maybe he didn't like, maybe he didn't rate the quality of our answers in the Q and A show. <laughs> the banter coefficient was top notch. Okay, that's a good, that's positive. I, I was shouting at my iPod on several occasions, though. Oh, dear. <laughs> At AIDS ignorance of some medium format cameras. Oh no no no, that's that's outrageous. I'm ignorant of a great many medium format cameras. Uh, please, somebody tell him that the RZ was a later version of the RB. Now, is that right? I did not know that. I thought they were two separate models. Well, there you go. We were talking about that, weren't we? About the Mamiya uh, RZ67 and the RB67. Uh, and uh, I did not know that one was a later version of the other. Well, there you go. 
just as well it's not a film photography podcast. Well, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but then when has making it up as you go along ever stopped you from entertaining it? Well, thank you for recognising our core skill. <laughs> Finally, some, some recognition of, of what it is that we do here, this, uh, this service that we provide week in, week out, whether you need it or want it or not. Okay. All right. Let's see what, uh, let's see if Jeremy's got uh, any other double-edged comments for us. Um, I got the sound clip of Rachel's new camera on this week's episode. Not quite the sound I had in mind, but definitely a hassy. Although I thought uh, I thought it was because of her microphone. A 500 sounds a bit more clunky. Then she said it was just the opening the waist level finder. Um, well, yes. Uh, tell her that the, the wind crank is on the right and the shutter release <laughs> is on the front. <laughs> has she broken it yet? I think she has, hasn't she? Or, she, no, or, it, or did, it, did it self-break? Uh, I think when it turned up, there was an existing problem with it. Um, she has looked into getting it repaired, and that's apparently quite expensive. So she's going to attempt repairing it herself. I have not had an update since then. I suspect that may have been put to one side until other things have been dealt with first. So um, has she not fingers asked you crossed. to look at it for her? Uh, no, I mean I gladly will. <laughs> Obviously, I'm very good with these things. Okay, we're only halfway through. In fact, we may not even be yet halfway through Jeremy's email, but that's okay. Uh, so, so, Mike, do you mend your own cameras? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I am the guy that will break anything that I try to fix. So, uh, handyman, I am not. Uh, the Gutterman Cave Garage is just strictly for podcasting things. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, let's see. Jeremy goes on. Thanks for the chat with Killian. Oh, yeah, that was great. Uh, after the last time he was on your show, I bought the Ellie Mag issue number one. Excellent. Uh, at first, I was rather disappointed, not only as it is very expensive, but the first couple of articles were not particularly interesting. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Did you not screen this before you put it in our show notes? I, I love the way Jeremy communicates with the world. I, I saw um, a comment on Twitter from our good friend, Barnaby Nutt, and I think Jeremy had commented on something he'd done, and I had to say... Jeremy, being, Barnaby, being, being burnt by Jeremy is a rite of passage for right, involved okay. in analog photography. All right, so, no, 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 so let's not leave it hanging there. So Jeremy oh, yes, goes so, on yeah. to say, after that, though, the quality took off. Excellent. There are some really excellent submissions, both from the point of view of the photography, but more so from the writing with some really engaging accounts. Phew, just, just <laughs> rescued it there. Uh, a couple of years ago, I bought a publication, Neoprime, which I'd heard about on another photography podcast, which had some superb imagery. I've not heard of that one, actually. No, this got me not. thinking. No, no, this got me thinking about other publications or media which inspire the Sunnies and their acolytes. Oh, have we got acolytes. Wow. Okay. Can That's... we make them do stuff if we have? <laughs> well, like dancing and squealing and stuff like that. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I was thinking about armed revolution, but you know, whatever. <laughs> oh, oh, you want to take oh world domination? Oh, why didn't you say so? Um, <laughs> I know you are listeners to the FPP podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, so perhaps you can talk to us about other podcasts you like and why. Also, are there other resources online and written, perhaps magazines or periodicals? Now that's lucky, isn't it, that we've actually got a fellow podcaster on the show today. Yeah, see, it's all carefully planned. All carefully planned. It's yes, or at least happily coincidental. Uh, well, there we go. So, uh, well, I tell you what, um, uh, we've got Mike on the show, and we've already said that we like his podcast. Um, uh, why don't we all talk, mention right off the top of our heads other podcasts we like and why? Mike, do you want to go first? <laughs> 
Or do you need a minute? Uh, yeah, I think I can go. Uh, there's, let's see, Studio C41 um, is a, a pretty decent one. And uh, also Analog Talk, obviously, two, uh, two that always also come to mind besides the FPP. And then there's these... Is these kind of annoying British guys called the Sunny Sixteen? I mean, <laughs> kind of annoying. We're just annoying, please. Okay, Graham. I I listen to so many podcasts, um, which I've talked about in the past because I, I have so much free time, um, and, I, and I tend to cycle through them, some as well. So I, I won't always be listening to all of them, but um, certainly uh, as, as um, Mike mentioned, um, Analog Talk. I've checked out things like Against the Grain. Um, Mike Padua did I think three episodes of an Anchor podcast, <laughs> and then probably gave up on that. So good work, Mike. Um, uh, the shoot with Matt Day, um, John Wilkins' Creative Bar. Um, there's a lot of great podcasts um, on photography, but I also listen to a lot of other. Oh, Photographica, um, that one's really good. Um, and I've, as far as other media goes, um, I'm actually getting into the habit of finding more time. This is terrible because I, I the fact that I'm having to say it indicates how little time I spent before, but finding more time to read more of the articles on um, Emulsive and 35MMC in particular at the moment because um, I don't get a lot of time to sit down. But, um, yeah, th- th- those are the kind of places I go to. I don't, I don't get a great deal of time to engage with media other than podcasts um so that's why podcasts are such an important thing and you know and i listen to an awful lot beyond photography ones i listen to a lot of comedy ones i listen to uh, just incredible incredibly broad range of podcasts um which bring me a lot of joy and every now and again somebody somebody in the photography community will ask for a podcast recommendation uh, and i'll give them one and look okay what was that uh, i think um i think it was um Mark Hickford, I think, was recently asking for a podcast, and I suggested to him, oh, check out Off Book, it's really good. Um, and he wasn't a fan. <laughs> it's a, a musical comedy improvisation podcast, which apparently wasn't what he was looking for. So. Oh, well. Uh, Such is yeah. life. What about you then, Aid? Uh, well, I could recommend a fantastic show called The Future of Photography. Um, that's awesome. But I'll tell you what, I, uh, anything, right? So photography stuff, I do listen to a, 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 a sort of float across a bunch of photography podcasts. But I can recommend pretty much anything put out by BBC Radio 4. Uh, mm. loads of comedy loads of science that's where you get things like uh, the infinite monkey cage uh, Friday night comedy uh, all sorts of stuff that comes out there uh, things like the curious cases of Rutherford and Fry which is a great science one um, so uh, yeah it's uh, I, I do listen occasionally to uh, a few of the ones that in fact you guys have mentioned them all pretty much um, uh, and and I still have a subscription sitting there, sadly, in the corner of my podcasting app to Pixelated Photographer. Hi, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw a message on Twitter from Chris today following up from the fact that he put his first vlog out a couple of weeks ago. He has another vlog coming out soon. So I'm glad to see that he's at least creating again. Ah, right. OK, so back to finish off with Jeremy's email, because this one's taking quite a while. Uh, I thought, too, about how many excellent documentary films there have been on BBC4, etc., and also on DVD. Uh, then there are films about photographers, both fictional or real. Uh, what about films known, renowned for the cinematography? Oh, wow. OK, cinematography. Uh, I tell you one. Uh, which I do love for its cinematography, and that is No Country for Old Men by the Coen Brothers. 
that's I've not even seen that. Awesome. So. That's got that's got some awesome. If you imagine, um, no, oh, that was going to be cruel. Actually, I was going to say imagine Fargo, but less snowy. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 actually the stories are totally different and the feel of them are too. They just happen to be you know two Cohen brothers movies. But there you go. Um, but I do like I do I do like that one. Yes, definitely. Okay. Anyway, just thought I'd throw these thoughts into the mixer. Says Jeremy, love to all the real Jeremy. He is the real Jeremy. That is true. He he is the real Jeremy. I think it's very important to make people aware that. <laughs> If he's terrible to you on the internet, it's not me. It's him. It's that <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Right. Who's up next then? Who's okay, doing next? I'll, Is it you next? I'll take the next one. Yep, yep, You'll yep. Take the next one. Okay. Okay. Um, Right, this one is from our good old friend Toby Van Der Veld. Um, it says, "Hi, Bun Seams." <laughs> I'm no, <laughs> not good Bun Seams. Uh, it feels like yonk since I got in contact. Not long enough with Bun Seams, it turns out. I have been listening to and enjoying the show since I last emailed you all. Uh, I am sending a pic of my process queue. Uh, it's not necessarily huge, uh, unlike Rachel's past sounds, but it means I am having to slow my film photography down until I can catch up with myself. Uh, the role of a role I was very kindly given to me alongside several other films by Isabel Curtis. She's very generous. Um, please say hi her to her for me, Tar. Um, I will get them done dev only and use my Nikon P7700 and the light box to get them digitized. I recently came into possession of an old filter holder that looks like it will be perfect for making sure my camera is 90 degrees to the film surface and thus ensuring my corners stay at 90 degrees. I hate having to use Photoshop to warp my corners straight again. I think it looks big enough to use for medium format as well as 35mm. Have you three got any tips for using a macro lens to digitize negatives, or do you all have scanners? Uh, I hope to be posting soon, hopefully before Brum, and I will see you there for a nice cuppa. Ciao for now from Tobe. Um, gosh, there was many things. The um, the pile of the process it was a picture of quite a, a good collection of um, films waiting to be processed. I'm feeling very smug at the moment because uh, after the snow we had over the last few days, which is a bit of a hindrance to me doing any gardening work, I've managed to get through most of my backlog of um, undeveloped film. I got in the dark room and got undeveloped a load of stuff and I even managed to get quite, I think all the stuff that's developed is also now scanned so I've only got couple of roles left to do i think so i'm feeling very smug i'm do you very do any... glad to hear it <laughs> yeah do you do you home develop mike yes i do and uh both black and white and the c41 so yeah yeah i really enjoy it actually so yeah and are you good at keeping on top of it or do you also have a big pile waiting to be done uh i have a pile like uh my whole life uh, consists of piles that i'm trying to get to i think but uh yeah and <laughs> so it's that's an unfortunate uh, statement. Like... <laughs> Shout out to Andrew Bartram, by the way, who's just had a hernia rock today. So it's not quite the same thing, but you know. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know where I was going with that other than my life is full of piles. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. I'll, I'll see if I can rec- re- re- if I rescue the conversation. Uh, it'd be good to see Toby in Birmingham. Looking forward to that. Uh, and um, do we have any tips for using a macro lens to digitise negatives? Um, I 
don't uh, because uh, for one thing I don't own a macro lens uh, and for another thing is that the only negatives I ever digitized that way are actually 6 by 12s uh, from my pinhole so um, I actually use uh, I use my Fuji X-T1 camera with a Bronica 75mm lens on it uh, which seems to of all my lens camera combinations seems to give uh, you know, the best magnification and quality combination Mm, mm. I'm going to actually pull out very quickly, and we've got an email coming up which has many, many, many hints in it, which we will not be able to cover all. But one of them I will pull out actually now. Uh, this is from um, Bruce Horn, uh, uh, and Bruce's advice for taking digital photos of prints, negatives, and slides is to use a copy stand, um, and to, along with them, some book conservator supplies such as book cradles and book weights can be helpful in holding materials in place so they don't curl off or um, for holding old photo albums uh so that's more for prints than for negatives but um a copy stand i think somebody else mentioned about getting a copy stand um as a good way of getting things done so uh, i've heard yeah. that mentioned i'm not sure i know what one is though it's a stand you use for copying stuff excellent i'm glad you cleared that up <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm here for <laughs> mike do you know what a copy stand is um yeah it's a stand you use for copying things <laughs> yeah there you go see <laughs> Well, both of you. Well, both of you can't be wrong, can you? So, okay, all right. <laughs> there were. I have seen attachments. Um, so, you could buy um, slide copier uh, things that um, fit. I think on the front of the lens, with the idea of being you use them with certain lenses to take photographs of slides. I think I'm right in that. Um, which for 30, if you can find one of those that fits with your setup, um, that might do for 35 millimeter, and of course hold it in exactly the right spot, but doesn't help with medium format. That's the only thing I can suggest. Okay, all right. So or, I've or just, just googled. Can I just just for fun and because I didn't get the answer I was looking to from you two, <laughs> I've just googled copy stands, um, and uh, uh, it looks to me um, a bit like an enlarger, but without the. Uh, without the enlarger if that makes sense <laughs> so it's got a flat stand at the bottom and a, and a standy up bit and you can mount some lights to, to it so i'm i'm guessing it's uh uh it's um uh part of a larger but without the head maybe maybe that's the way to think about it i've heard maybe people, yeah i've heard of people using old enlargers to make a copy stand out of actually so yeah it's, it I, doesn't surprise me that it looks like that yeah Okay, excellent. So there we go. Uh, clearly, the three of us are darkroom gurus who uh, can advise on almost any darkroom situation. <laughs> yeah. Should we take a quick break uh, and I then think, come I back to some more? Yeah, I think we should. <laughs> <laughs> we've got, we've got, uh, oh, one, two, three. Don't look at the list. You'll uh, feel many, many emails. I do, do you know what? I think I'm going to call this now and say uh, we may not get through them all in this show. <laughs> we'll do our best. We'll do our best, though. Uh, it's like it's like our our um our undeveloped film files. We're going to try and get through as many as we can. <laughs> yes. Okay. And uh, yeah. Well, let's see if we can raise the level of conversation when we come back after this break.
And we're back uh, and staring down the barrel of some very detailed emails, which we will attempt to do justice for you. Uh, I will now hand you over to my learned colleague, uh, Graham, uh, to see what he can make of the first one. This first one is from Ronnie Brandon. And Ronnie writes, hi, Sunbeams. Maybe it's because I'm an analog man in the digital world, but I'm having a real issue scanning in my first ever roll of home-developed negatives. I'm turning to you in the hope that you can offer sage advice or that maybe your listeners have had similar problems. I suspect what he means is similar problems that they've then solved. He's not just wishing problems on you, listeners. Having taken part <laughs> in one of Rachel's analog workshops a couple of weeks ago, I was inspired to take the plunge and bought myself a Patterson tank and chemical kit from Nick and Trick. Yesterday, I successfully developed my first roll of black and white. EA! And I was giggling like a little girl when I pulled the roll from the tank to see the actual images, because that is such a special moment. And I sincerely hope, Aid, that one day you actually give it a go, because it's, um, it's, oh, it's just the greatest. Um, I hung the film to dry, sleeved it, and began to scan it last night using my brand new Epson V600. And this is where the problem starts. So um, as I mentioned, there's quite a lot of detail here. So I'm just going to paraphrase the rest of it. So basically, the problem that Ronnie ran into is that when he's trying to scan in these negatives, the scanner is just not picking them up. Um, when he scans in negatives he's had done at a lab, it's picking those up fine and scanning those fine. Uh, and when he scans it, scans the negatives as either color or positives, it's picking them up. But when he tries to scan them as black and white, it's not picking them up at all. Um, Ronnie does mention in the uh, email that um, the film he's using is Triax, and and he was using um, Rodnold to develop it, and that the uh, no, the negatives do have a slight purple hue to the um, uh, to the negatives, um, uh, which I, I've certainly seen that before on some of my negatives. Um, and he said he's left them on the windowsill, which was something he read on the internet to help try and remove some of this purple tin. Um, uh, and yeah, and that's basically the problem he's had. So I have I've got an old Epson V five hundred and. It can be a little finickety and it feels like it's getting a little bit more finickety as time goes by about sometimes picking up um, negatives. It's you know, I'll have two strips of negatives essentially identical from the same role in there and sometimes it'll only recognise one and sometimes it'll just miss random shots on there if it seems they're a bit dark. Um, unless the purple tint is very, very deep I'm surprised it's affecting it. Um, the only thing I would suggest that you could do to uh, get around the problem is rather than trying to scan it in thumbnail mode. So on, if you're using the Epson software, um, which is what I use, um, you the way my you have it set so when you scan it in it splits them up into all nice little 35 mil frames and you know you're great and off off the races you go um if you're scanning in negatives which are not very well defined whether the exposures were not great or they're very blurry or maybe you're doing double exposures or stuff like that stuff that the, the software finds difficult to recognize what i do then is if you turn off the thumbnail setting and it just 
gives you a preview of kind of the whole thing and then you can use the um make little masks on you know drag and drop to select the individual frames on the negatives then and then you can use the the software to get the levels right and that way you'll be able to find them but it does make it a, a slow process doing that um Mike, you were saying you've got an Epson V800 because you're a fancy boy. Fancy pants. Um, have you ever had any problems with it picking up on negatives that you're trying to scan in? I have not had that problem whatsoever. Uh, I've had it miss frames like you were just talking about, but never like quite well, like what the listener there was having. Uh, it's been kind of smooth sailing for me. That's what you get when you get by the fancy stuff, though. Yeah. And what about this... Um, excess dye this purple tint to the um the negatives uh i have seen that with i think it was uh it was t-max i think has a tendency to sometimes have a little color to the to the negatives at least from my experience but i think that's that can be something in your processing that can that because i'm not sure but um might be a stage that you maybe need to go longer with it and, and maybe a lot of times when you're uh developing black and white a lot of times i you know i do the pre-soak before i do my developer phase a lot of times that you know when you do that before that just the pre-soak out the water will have a color to it so i wonder if uh i don't know i don't know what what it, that could be but I, I have seen it a little bit mostly i think with he might he had it with triax so i'm not really sure about that one hmm yeah, I mean, I, I've started, I, I don't always remember, but I have started doing a pre-soak more often, even on my black and white stuff. With the colour stuff, it's just part of the process anyway, but to get it up to temperature, but I have started doing it more with black and white. And it's surprising how much with some films um, you do tip that water. I mean, slide film's the best. You tip out, you won't have seen this, aid, but if you pre-soak slide film and then just empty that water, that can be some real funky colours, some real bright blues and purples come off there. Mm. Uh, okay, well, so, inter- yes. Uh, well, I, uh, I, I've seen even on lab processed tri i've seen it come back with a a, a purple uh a, a slight purpleness to it but i don't think i've uh, i don't think i've ever seen it come back with that that uh, as as a possible cause for it being foggy or anything like that so hope no, hopefully yeah. this is just a uh, a scanning tweak that ronnie needs to do yeah i think it probably is and, and you know the, the, the problem is that when you're just starting off there's so many variables that ronnie's dealing with here so obviously it's the first time he's developing uh, it's a brand new scanner that he's not used to using at all and it took me ages to get into the flow with mine in any way shape or form and you know just figuring out the little quirks and you'll get there with it um just persevere but as i said you may well find if you want to get that role that you've got now scanned in just remove the thumbnails and use the um just individually highlight the frames and you can sort of highlight the first frame click to copy the same size frame over and just copy each one and then as you do that you'll see it then 
balances them all out, then you can scan them all in. And it's certainly a lot easier than because when I first did it and with negatives that didn't scan properly, I was highlighting the whole negative and then trying to do it in Photoshop, and it's a nightmare. So, um, but if any listeners have got any more thoughts on this, please do drop us a line and let us know. But um, yeah, I think it's just just teething problems, and I'm really pleased to hear that you've got started on the home developing because it's so much fun, um, which everybody should be doing because it saves lots of money as well, which is another good thing. Um, Aid, are you going to take the next missive from the aforementioned Bruce Horn? This is a monster, isn't it? Uh, first, thanks, Bruce, for uh, sending us such a wealth of detail in this email. I think he's tried to answer every question ever raised on the show ever. Um, so here we go. This is this is actually a dedication uh, that that rivals Mike's in some way because Bruce is a is a relatively new listener to the show. But his email, he says, he's actually uh, gone back to all the old shows and he's listened to all our shows, uh, 89 episodes in a little over three months. That's oh, almost an ep- That's almost a show a day. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, that's that's too much. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, start on yours next. I will say I have um, I have trimmed this email down a little because even though it's still very long, but I did. I sort of because there was so many tips and I sort of went, OK, well, let's pick out some of the real highlights here. But. Um, yeah, there's so much good information in there. Yes. Okay, so here we go then. Well, he says, the first one is for you, Graham, um, on dusty negs. He says, uh, most of the dust for negatives appears between the final rinse and drying. Uh, and uh, therefore, if you use uh, the recommended amount of photo flow uh, to your final rinse and then squeegee off uh, all the water, um, you should have some better success he also suggests you build a home uh, a, a filtered home-built cabinet there you go so uh, I'm, I'm guessing that'll make sure that the uh, there doesn't get any dust in it while they're drying so, mm. so yeah uh, if you could just knock one of those out i'm sure uh, <laughs> most of your problems will be solved i'll get mike to do it he's much more hands-on than me <laughs> <laughs> okay all right so uh next one uh when you scan negs or put them in larger i recommend running a static master brush over them does that would that help you at all it might do you know the funny thing is I, I, the next i did over the weekend i think because i was what um processing them and then not leaving them too long to dry before putting them away and also because i think actually part of the reason i've had so much problem with the negatives is that um that agfa vista just sucks dust to it but anyway i'm finding that the problem with the negatives that i got done over the weekend was less about the dust and more about the watermarks on it um because we're in quite a hard water area here and i think the only way i'm going to be able to get around that is by buying some big bottles of distilled water to use for a final wash so um but no getting one of those static brushes would be great actually for getting off those just last little bits because the blower gets some of it off um but um yeah i'll have to look up the static master brush um bruce left bruce put links into all of this stuff which is superbly helpful okay which you are going to diligently copy into the show notes oh yeah defo okay that's good to know right uh okay next tip from bruce uh for general photo printing and scanning as well as photo restoration um he recommends two books by and there's another name and i don't know whether this is pronounced cutine or cetine um uh is the name of the author i do know who this person is because uh he's somebody that used to appear a couple of years back on the online uh, photographer blog 
which is oh, what's the fellow's name? Mike. Can't remember his surname. An American, I think, uh, semi-retired professional photographer. I think. Uh, also, somebody who posts YouTube videos of professional pool players doing trick shots, which are always very interesting. And if I remember rightly, he also has a, a love for what we would know in this country as a Mazda MX-5, but I think he's known as a Miata in the states. Um, but uh, anybody who who likes to read about photography should read the online photographer. Uh, but uh, Bruce's uh, link here to uh, these books by uh, Curtine, maybe. Uh, Post-exposure, advanced techniques for the photographic process. And a second book, Digital Restoration from Start to Finish. He says the first is a fantastic masterclass for advanced photographic printing. And the second book is great about restoring old photos um, and also uh, scanning prints and slides and negatives. So, uh, well, there you go. Um, uh, some hints and tips for, for doing stuff there. Uh, moving on. Uh, one of the tips in the back of the first book is a recommendation for Edwell No Scratch. This is an oil that you can paint on the front and back of negatives to eliminate scratches. Hey, somebody's commercialised nose grease. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there you go. So nose grease as a professional uh, product. There we go. Um, I mean, do you reckon that's what it is? Do you reckon? Do you reckon they were just scraping noses into bottles? This is what the child catcher from uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang was really doing, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Keeping those children in a cave under the castle where they and and, and harvesting their nose grease for commercial purposes. <laughs> You're welcome, listeners. <laughs> Well, you know, we did say we were going to make it up as we went along. Okay, right. Uh, next one. Electrical tape is great stuff, but for certain applications, 3M photographic tape is better. It is a thin black paper tape that is opaque, has a matte finish and is very flexible. Uh, so it will conform to things like the insides of bellows. Now, that sounds like useful stuff. Yeah, that does actually. I read that. Oh, yes, 3M photographic tape. I'm going to hunt some of that down because I've got some cameras with bellows with holes in them. So, I su yes, I suspect that's a, a product that a lot of our listeners might appreciate, uh, especially the collector types like you who've got lots and lots of old things they pick up. I bet Rach has got half of her cameras will probably benefit from that as well. Yeah, I bought this last week. I bought three cameras in this last week. All of <laughs> I know one all... of them. I know one of them. But what are the others? Uh, oh. Well, one of the other one of the other ones um, is a camera called a Penguin, which is an old folding bellows camera. Um, from, I think it's from the forties or fifties. Um, but yes, very cool. But um, yeah, the, the bellows on that may well have holes in them. And the, and the third one, you remember my cheap shots challenge camera? <laughs> well, it's one thousand. The um, fugly. Yeah. So I bought an IS five thousand. <laughs> what? You bought another fugly? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> what is the collective noun for fuglies? For fuglies, a moog of fuglies, I think, is the collection. <laughs> yeah, a moog of fuglies. Uh, yeah, don't ask why, because I can't answer. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Well, there, there we go. Okay, there we go. Right. So, um, I, I, uh, I, oh, I've got just got to a slightly contentious bit of Bruce's email here. Ooh. 
by me. He says, uh, and uh, we, we won't hate him. Um, he says, it's kind of funny that I just found out about your podcast because I decided when I bought my Micro Four Thirds camera to sell all of my other digital and film equipment to fund more lenses for it and help me commit to exploring its capabilities. So for the next two or three years, I will not be taking any new film photographs. Well, that's a shame. But he is that going is... to continue scanning and, and, and processing negatives and things like that. So, uh, so uh, oh, no, 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 actually, no, no. Uh, get to the end of the email. There's a little gotcha cause. Uh, it says, I will continue to enjoy your show. And in the meantime, I will just keep a little Pentax ME just in case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shame though. He talked about he sold he sold his Bush Pressman, a uh, hundred year old Sirocco four x five, and another number of other cameras. Um, I couldn't understand that. Last count, I was down to nineteen cameras. Um, well, yeah, so maybe one day I'll do collection. that. That's quite a collection that's hitting the market there, isn't it? That's uh, by the sound of it. Oh well, well. So do you know what? Uh, I have often found that when I get rid of stuff, I concentrate and do better work with the stuff that i keep that's not just cameras although it absolutely applies to cameras as well in my case so good luck with that bruce look forward yeah. to seeing uh you know uh how that goes for you keep in touch let us know how going down losing all of those cameras and focusing down on just the two works out for you uh be good to yeah. hear how it goes yeah and i think it makes you know if you decided you're going to go down the microphone four thirds four thirds yeah that is right yeah yeah um that yeah if you think it's going to go then give it a go it makes absolute sense and uh, i hope we get to see some pictures that you're doing with that because we love all photography here mike are you um are you like me are you a bit of a hoarder or are you more of the sensible kind of guy like bruce is here going no i'm going to use these few cameras and get real good with them oh it's, i'm i'm definitely a hoarder i'm right there with you man and uh two people that hoard, two types of people that hoard equipment more than anybody is photographers and musicians <laughs> and i get the fortunate case of being both so uh yeah i've uh, i've had gas all over the place <laughs> in my life <laughs> and, well, at, least you're, at least you're honest about it right that's the important thing yeah you you got to be. and what's your current favorite then what's the what's the belle du jour at the moment Oh, that's tough. I think it's going to be, uh, I'm a Pentax guy. I really love Pentax cameras. So uh, probably um, the Beast, the, the, the Hulkamania, the, the Pentax 6-7. Oh, yeah. That, Very that's nice an awesome camera. That's a, I've always been tempted by one of those. Um, always been tempted by one of those. Uh, but then you remember you're too lazy to carry it around. <laughs> Uh, there's an there's an element of that uh, i'm also too lazy to carry a, uh, to, to uh, have a camera that that has no meter in it as well i think a lot of the older ones actually do the newer six sevens have meters in them uh mine does i have the uh you have different prisms you can get for it my i have the ttl uh pentaprism or whatever that has the meter so yes it, it mine has a meter but it's you know an old needle style type need, uh meter like it's an k1000 or something but uh but yeah so yeah it's got a meter and uh uh you know it's funny when i when i got it and pulled it out pulled it out of the box i actually like it was comedic i actually laughed because it's so much bigger than i thought it was going to be you know you see, you see pictures and you're like oh yeah i can handle that and, then, and uh it's just it's almost comedic because it's like a giant 35 millimeter slr but it's uh yeah but once you get it in your hands, it's not as unwieldy as it might seem. But uh, uh, but yeah, I had to kind of laugh when I pulled it out of the box. Like, oh, what, did I, what have I got myself in? 
All right. Okay. All right. So I think that's that. Uh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Bruce, uh, for that email. Uh, there's so much in there. Um, thank you for taking the time to, to write to us with that. all of that. Um, uh, I think next email is over to Mike to uh, take up. All right. I'm going to guess this is uh, Roland Bandarab. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yep. All right. He says... Uh, Thank you for answering my Ektar question. I post this appreciation and observation on the Facebook post for the episode, but I don't see one. I really... <laughs> Standing joke. We don't do Facebook. <laughs> I really appreciate straightforward. The scans look fine. Answer to my question. Uh, and don't apologize for asking Killian all the questions that you feel are about details, what you want to know for your own benefit as those can lead to the most useful answers. Keep up the good work, Rollin. Ah, well, good. Okay, well, thanks, Rollin. Yeah, I did. Uh, that, that's a reference to when Killian was on the show recently, and uh, I, I kind of monopolized the question, asking him lots of questions about uh, the processes that he goes through to create uh, the Let's Explore magazine. So, uh, but hope, hopefully that was interesting to other people as well. And uh, I think the, the first bit of Rollin's email uh, is... Uh, a response to uh, a question that he'd asked, actually, I think, uh, I think on Twitter. I can't remember exactly. Um, and uh, it was about Ektar. He was trying Ektar, I think, for what, what the first or one of the first times he'd done it. And he had some questions about the quality of the scans. Um, and uh, he, I think um, they certainly the scans that he shared uh, looked uh, equivalent to what I get when I send Ektar off to the lab for developing and scanning. Um, and uh, I think some of the uh, I think he, he'd been led to expect something that w was sort of neon colors or, or close to um, and uh, whilst the ectar, the ectar looked good for, for, to me but um, maybe not quite uh, what Rollin had been expecting so I'm glad the answer was useful Rollin anyway yes uh, okay uh, the next one is over to Graham Okay, so this is another long one. So let's see, see how we get on with this one. Um, this is from John Michael Mendeza. Um, Dear ladies and gents and guests, if applicable, um, well, you're you're co-hosting, Mike. So you you know you're um, you're you're a special third uh, wheel on the <laughs> bike. <laughs> um, I can't bring myself to call you the Sunbeams, and I'm not even sure if that name is still in use. I mean, it definitely is. So, you know, I, I'm writing from way back in episode 75. God, I mean, that must have been about last September for you, right, right Mike? Um, <laughs> after hearing many requests for emails, I thought I would take a few minutes to share my analog ramblings. I have a couple of questions, but first I should explain. Uh, when Aid was on the Tips from the Top Floor podcast, he was clever enough to plug the Sunny 16 podcast and mentioned that there were some back episodes. So I went all the way back to episode number one, or was it zero? Yep, wow. and have been happily catching up ever since. So far, there appear to be no lasting side effects, although my bank account has suffered from the purchase of two analog cameras. They are both 120 cameras, cheers aid, and neither of them are particularly crap. Sorry, Greg. <laughs> it's all right, because as we pointed out, I've been buying all the crap cameras to compensate. Um, the first is a camera that Aid would would want to avoid, a Rolleiflex TLR from 1938 with a Carl Zeiss Jenner F3.5 lens. Uh, it's very astute. Uh, I would want to avoid that. Absolutely, I would want to. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, TLRs I'm sure it's lovely, don't... but I just don't get on with TLRs. Yeah, um, I think reading this, I think um, he had a, a few issues with it to begin with, uh, but um, now all working well. Um, and uh, he says, although it's although it's an eighty-year-old camera, not to worry. I got it pretty cheap, and it was well used already. So I think that's great. Get out with these old cameras and use them. I mean, yes, nineteen thirty-eight. That's that's a good vintage, but still. You know, there's no point just putting them on the shelf and looking at them. That's not not in there, not what they're there for. The second one is that after hearing you guys rave about your Bronicas for months, I started looking into some options. I like to shoot some portraits. So the six by four point five format of the ETR line is lovely for me, but I prefer to use a waist level finder. Uh, and the waist level finder on its side is no fun. So I went jumbo and got a GS one six by seven. The wonderful thing about the GS1 is that you can get a 6x45 back for it. It's that it's in portrait orientation. Uh, I have shot three rolls through it in the two weeks that I've had my grubby mitts in it, and it works like a charm, as long as you are careful to go the, through the pre-flight checklist before taking a picture. Um, yes, we're familiar with that. <laughs> um I have one 6x7 back as well as one of the 6x45 backs. Uh, and tomorrow I'll be doing a shoot with a model and hope to get some good results. Um, that's, that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, that's that's great. That is yes. I think the the pre-flight checklist. Uh, I, I always forget to do that, and so I always end up forgetting one of the many locks on it and failing to capture the decisive moment. They're they're not great decisive moment cameras, the Bronicus. <laughs> yeah, I see. The, the GS one six seven is not one I'm particularly familiar with at all. Um, have either of you guys come across this one? Uh, I, I know of it, but I've never seen one in real life or, or used one. So, uh... what about you, Mike? Here with uh, this is the this is a Bronica, right? Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm not. I actually just kind of looked into those a little bit before I bought the Fintax Six Seven, and uh, yeah, they just uh, they look gigantic as well. But uh, that's all about all I know about them. <laughs> six by seven is such i mean it's, it's a huge neck size so um they tend to need a big camera to go with it unless you've got the money to buy um something like the mamiya um seven you know which are quite a lot of monies um i also have an evil plan for making a gsp pinhole attachment um but he tends he says in here it'll be leaps and bounds ahead of graham's bronica pinhole attempt like one how dare you two incidentally i dug that camera out the Bronica pinhole will be back. But I have taken out, um, I have taken out the curved plane, and I have put, I have um, rebuilt the back so it can now put roll film in again. So yeah, watch that space. Um, uh, da, da, da. He's asked about Instax backs. There were a couple of people on Kickstarter who were trying to make Instax backs for these things, but I don't think they were GS1 based. So you might have to keep an eye out for those. Um, my other question is about my particular Bronica. Does anyone know of a resource for determining the age of a Bronica based on its serial number? Um, I don't. Um, so if any listener knows of somewhere that uh, serial numbers can be looked up, um, please let us know. Because, um, uh, yeah, that's, that would be interesting to find out the particular vintage. Um, anyway, on to I think I've rambled on long enough. I am not very active on the social things, but you can see my work at jmm-photos.com. Um, so as you can see, Mike, uh, he uh, John um, has a, a website 
for his photographies. Do you have any thoughts on websites for photography, Mike? <laughs> uh, I feeling I know why you're asking me that. But uh, uh, if you want to hear my long, drunken rat, uh, rant on, uh, on websites, uh, search, uh, just dig in the, anywhere in the 93 episodes I've put out, you'll find it. So I think it's one, one of the more recent ones, yeah. Um, that, that, sounds, that, that sounds like you were trying to set him up for some sort of fail there. I would never do that. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, so check out that website to see some of the pictures and there's pictures on there from the Rolleiflex and the Bronica. Um, thank you for a wonderful podcast. Keep up the good work. I often have to laugh out loud when listening. That's probably most when you're getting things wrong, Aid. Um, greetings from Cloudy F4 Germany. Ah, yes. Well, it very rarely gets to sunny 16 here in the UK, does it? It's often, you know, uh, you know F11 is the, is the best we can get here, even in the summertime. But uh, there we go. All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, yes, for uh, another long email there from uh, John Michael. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, well, I think we've only got uh, one, two, two left to go. Uh, I yeah, think... I think we'll save the last long one till next week, I think, because <laughs> there is one more long one left. But let's do these two quick ones. Let's do do, uh, do them save. just. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, I thought there was only okay. Well, let's let's see let's no, see there's... what we've got then. Yeah. So the next one is from Joe Fahati. Uh He says, uh, "Just listened to your latest Women of Film podcast and was totally thrilled by it. In the same way, seeing a female guitar player. I'm a guitar player. It's not just not, just not every day you see one. Well, I'm glad. Um, do you know, what? I'm really glad that uh, that this the uh, Women of Film podcast have been going uh, down so well. Both of them, I think, have got." massive well, i don't think i know because i see it i've got masses of uh, favorable feedback so thank you everybody uh when you signed off i was doing something and kept the player going and you cut back in with the disturbing news about the idiot that blamed you or all women for their mistakes and my smile went away how dare anyone blame others for their shortcomings you handled it like the grace field woman oh oh sorry long sentence you handled it like the grace-filled woman you are just keep doing what you do and don't have to say anything your work will speak for it well, thank you, Joe, um, on behalf of the ladies who were on that show, of course, because Graham and nor I were, were on that show. Uh, but thank you. It, you know, the, the, the stuff they talk about is, is awesome. And uh, uh, it's interesting for me, of course, because it's, it's a show with people, uh, with Rachel, who, I'm, you know, who we're close to, um, but uh, that we're not doing the show with her. So it's always uh, very interesting to hear what, the, what she's got to say as well. Yeah, and that bit at the end, it was interesting, actually, because... Um, I edited that show for um, for Rachel and, and the ladies and um, that sort of bit at the end was a conversation that came up when they were having essentially their, their break um, and and um, Rachel thought, because, you know, by that point they all relaxed into it and Rachel said, Can we, that was quite an interesting chat. Can we just cut out? And I think absolutely it, it, it was, it's worth putting in there because, um, yeah, it's important to be reminded that, you know, let's be a bit more thoughtful sometimes about the way we're going about stuff. And especially if you're running a publication, be more thoughtful. Yes, absolutely. OK, uh, last one then, uh, which I'll just run through very quickly. Hello, 127 photography enthusiasts. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> the January 27th, 2018, 127 day online exhibition is now live at 127 Film Photography. Although still small, it's our largest ever. Thanks to all who participated in all the ways you did and enjoy. Uh, good light, J.M. Golding from 127 Film Photography. 
do we have graham a url for that i think it is uh now uh, actually i'm sure i can find it because i know certainly on previous emails there this is actually the first email i've had um from jm anyway just imagine that that was a sentence um uh that uh that uh let me see if i can find it I think it is just 127filmphotography.com. Um, I know certainly if you search it, you will find it. I can't bring that, but I will put it in the show notes. Um, and, uh, yeah, go and check it out. Uh, we mentioned that Rachel and I were going to be uh, together. We were up in Liverpool for the 127 um, Photography Day in January. <laughs> and um, I managed to completely fail to get my those negatives developed in time for submission to this because um, uh, – they were supposed to be uh, submitted by, I think, Tuesday last week. I think it was the 28th was the last day. I got the film developed on Friday. So better late than never. Um, um, so if anybody wants to see any of the pictures that I've taken, I am going to get around to shoving them up on uh, my myopic me Instagram feed at some point. Um, <laughs> well, I look forward to seeing those. And whilst you've been talking about that, uh, I have found actually 127 Film Photography is available at 127film.blogspot.com. There we go. Excellent. Okay. All right. That then I think is where we're going to leave it for now. As you say, uh, we have a, a further long and detailed email, which would we couldn't possibly do justice to even in a long show like we tend to put out. <laughs> so We'll come back to that one next week. Once we've had to digest and, um, and yeah, we'll come back. But yeah, don't worry. We will get to that one, James, because uh, it's an awesome email, but I have not yet had time to properly read through it myself. So yes. Which which I think now brings us to uh, the end of the show for this week, actually. Um, uh, we have a, a couple of housekeeping announcements to make, but uh, I think, well, unless, Graham, you, do you have any other business for this week? Uh, just a couple of um, shout-outs to people. Um, we already mentioned, uh, I already mentioned earlier, just uh, 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 well wishes to our good friend Andrew Bartram, who uh, has been in, uh, in hospital today having an operation. I think he's home already, um, all well, but get well soon, Andrew. Also wanted to give a very big shout-out and congratulations to past guest uh, and friend of the show, Rob Hawthorne, who just had the very cute bubby and it's very adorable. Um, so congratulations to Rob and his partner because that was lovely to see and like she had sent me a picture and it's the cutest little thing ever so um that was very awesome okay a good 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 point so uh mike uh, any other business from you no no i'm i'm uh just uh just happy i survived this and uh <laughs> <laughs> well, i don't think there was ever really any doubt i think you're i think you're capable of holding your own in this situation well, I've just learned with Graham, you just have to kind of you, you butter him up a little bit, and then and, and then if he still gets a little jabby with you, then you just kind of come back at him, and then it can, he seems to you know it gets a little gets a little less hostile that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much how it goes. Yeah, I think you got, I think you've nailed it. Well done. Okay, uh, but we do also, of course, like to uh, give our guests the opportunity to uh, point our listeners in the direction uh, of where they can find their own work. So. Um, would you like to uh, point our listeners to your podcast or perhaps some of your work maybe or what would you like to do there absolutely yes uh, my podcast is the negative positives film photography podcast and that is a mouthful but uh, uh, you can also see my photography on Instagram I am at gutterman photo like it sounds gutterman <laughs> and, uh, the uh, 
on Facebook, which I'm never on, so I don't even know why I say it. It's uh, Mike Gutterman Photography. Yes. And you, Mike, am I writing you started a Facebook page for the podcast as well now? I did, and that's literally the only reason I go on Facebook. It's for the uh, negative, positive film photography podcast Facebook group. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my only only time I like getting on Facebook is for that. And it's, it's been, I was kind of scared because I thought it was just going to be like crickets and, and Neil Piper hanging out there. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> Crickets and Neil Piper. <laughs> <laughs> It turns out it's been uh, it's been pretty active and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. So, yeah, good. It's, that. it's fun. OK, great. Thanks, Mike. And and uh, thanks for being on the show this week. Um, we have um, just an uh, announcement of our own. Uh, we've mentioned this uh, quite a number of times. It's getting very, very close now. On Sunday, the 18th of March, we will be having a meetup at the photography show at the NEC, followed by a photo walk in Birmingham. Uh, we uh, are now a photo walk on photowalk.me. Uh, so you'll have heard us mention this last week. A uh, friend of the show, Martin Smith, has a new website, a new project called photowalk.me, a site that allows you to set up and manage uh, photo walks. And now our meetup on the 18th of March at the NEC in Birmingham is uh, on photowalk.me. So there's a link in the show notes to that which really does bring us to the end of the show. Uh, and, and this week uh, we have uh, a slightly shorter end to the show um, because uh, we have, as I said at the top, uh, we've now moved our hosting. Um, so we don't get to say thank you to Chris this week for hosting the podcast, except thank you, thank you, thank you to Chris uh, for 18 months of hosting the podcast. Uh, we could never have started this without Chris's help. He's been a brilliant friend and uh, he's now back creating content. Uh, he's gone for vlogging this time. Uh, so you can find him on YouTube. I believe he's got his first vlog out, which I've watched, uh, uh, and a second one just about to post. So uh, go and check those out. Um, and thank you again, Chris, uh, for all the help you've given us to get started and to get this far. You can find us on the internet. Uh, Sunny 16 podcast pretty much everywhere. On Instagram, you will get Graham. Uh, on Twitter, you'll get me. On Facebook, you'll get bugger all um and on <laughs> at sunny 16 podcast at gmail.com uh you can send us long detailed helpful emails like the ones we've been uh reading out and sharing on the show today thank you so much for sending those in um, also it, or, or you could also send us slightly shorter emails that would make life so i mean we love getting these long detailed ones and they're fantastic <laughs> to read ourselves um but for the for the show um sometimes slightly more concise ones would be super helpful yeah okay so there there is the the cry for help from the man who processes your emails <laughs> <laughs> And last but not least, uh, our absent friend Rachel, her band Rocker, supply the music. Uh, Promises I Should Have Kept is the name of the album, and you can find that on Spotify, Amazon, or iTunes. Uh, that is really and truly the end of show number 91. It has been an honour and a privilege to talk to you. Uh, it has been fantastic having Mike on the show. We will speak to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.
Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>